always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. Can I ask you just, are you, are you in shock at the moment? Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm not as shocked, I just... Uh, uh, he just need some time to process. Yeah. Earlier this week, George Gonzaga Bento walked out of Dublin's Central Criminal Court a free man. Now my focus is my family. Uh, spend some time with the people I love, the people support me. The 36-year-old from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil had spent the last 16 months in custody, accused of murdering teenager Josh Dunn in January 2021. 16-year-old Josh died from stab wounds inflicted by Bento during a fight over a stolen bike in Dublin's East Wall. George Gonzaga Bento said he was acting in self-defence and was not looking for trouble. He said he and his friend were outnumbered. After a six-week trial, the jury found Bento not guilty on all counts, accepting his plea of self-defence. It's always, they believe me and fight for that and it's amazing. I'm Sarah Pollock and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, the acquittal of George Gonzaga Bento. In this episode, I'm joined by two court reporters who covered the trial over the last month and a half, Alison O'Reardon and Owen Reynolds. Alison, I'd like to start with you. What can you tell us about George Gonzaga Bento? How long had he been living in Ireland why did he decide to move here? And, and what was his life like in Dublin before January 2021? Yeah, George was working as a food delivery cyclist out of McDonald's in the East Wall area of the inner city of North Dublin. And he came to Ireland with his fiancée from Brazil in February 2019 to better himself, he said. They enrolled in an eight-month course to learn English and they lived in a house in East Wall with another Brazilian couple. Life in Ireland was good at the beginning, he said. He told the jury that he could work, study and improve himself. We heard during the trial that George found life difficult growing up in Brazil. Although he said he'd never got involved in anything unlawful, he had lost a lot of friends to the scourge of crime and drugs. However, he had a strong family around him who kept him safe and made sure he got a good education. So he'd no previous convictions in Ireland or Brazil, nor had he ever come to adverse guard attention in this jurisdiction. So, Alison, can you take us back to the night of January 26, 2021? What was George Bento up to that evening and how did he get involved in this altercation in Eastwall? So George was sitting on the pavement outside a McDonald's restaurant on East Wall Road that night when he saw a man on a moped making his way down the road carrying an electric bike on his shoulder, still driving the moped. A delivery cyclist who was unknown to George at the time has left his lock bike, which was not attached to anything outside a Lidl shop on the East Wall Road. So having seen the man on the moped making off with the delivery cyclist bike, George and his fellow worker, who we heard from during the trial, Guillaume Kiros, followed him on their bikes and they confronted him at the junction on the road. And there was a confrontation or standoff between George and his friend and the man on the moped. And George said the man in the moped was trying to intimidate them and starting insulting them and was doing circles around them and trying to kick them. 
So as you've mentioned, he and his friend approached this thief who had taken the delivery cyclist's electric bike. But why did George say he produced a knife? And, and why did he even have a knife on him at the time? So the thief got off his vehicle at one point and made some movement as if to pretend that he'd a knife at his back. And George said he responded by taking his own knife from his pocket, which he used to cut and peel fruit and showed it to him, hoping he would leave the bike and go away. He said, told the jury, I didn't want any problems. I just wanted my friend's bike back. So we learned that George carried a utility knife, as they called it, with him, which he used to cut fruit while waiting all day for orders to come in from McDonald's and East Wall. And he said he had purchased two knives in Lidl three months previously, and the other one was at home in his kitchen that night. And then a group of young people, including Josh Dunn, arrived on this scene. What happened when they turned up? So a group of youths, some walking, others on bikes and some on scooters, including Josh, were making their way up East Wall Road and came upon the confrontation. Three of the group, including Josh, crossed the road and two of them became physically involved. At that point, some force or violence was used by members of the group on George and his friend. So during the attack, George stabbed Josh's teenage friend and he sustained three stab injuries. Josh, who had been a short distance back from the confrontation, holding the moped at the time, he then became physically involved and moved towards George and struck him. And Josh was then stabbed twice in the chest by George and he collapsed. Floral tributes from family and friends were left at the scene in Dublin today where 16-year-old Josh Dunn was fatally stabbed last night. Josh was among a group of teenage boys and girls who came here to East Wall at around 20 past nine last night. So, Alison, you were in the court for most of the six-week trial. How did George Bento's defence team lay out their case? So from the very outset, the defence set out its stall and communicated the message loud and clear to the jury that the two Brazilian delivery riders were outnumbered that night. They had been surrounded and it wasn't a fair fight. Every chance senior counsel Pork Dwyer defending George got, he brought out the evidence about the hard life that delivery drivers have, the abuse they get, the violence they suffer and the difficulties they have as Brazilians working in Ireland. George himself gave evidence during the trial and spent three days in the stand. What was his demeanour like throughout that period? George showed himself in a very good light as he explained to the jury what his thought process was in confronting the man on the moped or the thief that night. He told the jury, it doesn't matter, it's not my bike. He is doing something wrong and I had the opportunity to stop him. I just try to do as I consider myself a good person. And that really summed up George's character. On the first day George took the stand, he broke down as he told the trial that his intention was never to hurt anyone that night. So it showed him up to be human and relatable. He also went on to tell the trial about his encounters with violence and intimidation during his work, which would have garnered sympathy, I suppose, for him from the jury when he made like when he told them that he was only trying to make a a living for himself. And his reaction was always avoid trouble and always try and go get away. 
he showed that murder was the furthest thing from his mind that night. Asked by his counsel if he ever had any intention to kill anyone that night, he said it was never in his mind. His intention was always to avoid something bad and avoid crime. And Bento's friend, Guilherme Quiros, who was with George on the night but didn't stab anyone, he also appeared in court. What did Guilherme say about the fight that broke out? Yeah, Mr. Kiros, he was probably like the main witness in the case. He said he was attacked at the same time by up to four people that night. His face was very badly damaged. He suffered a broken nose, broken teeth, a jaw injury, and he suffered an injury to his knee. He told the jury that he was afraid to leave the house after the traumatic incident, that he had to stay at home for at least 20 days and eventually left Ireland. And um, when he was being hit, he said he was afraid in that moment of dying. And he's since been to see a psychologist and he still dreams about that night. So this showed what the long lasting effect this attack had on him. And he said that every time he remembers that night, he gets afraid. He said that George saved him from more serious injury or death that night when George used a knife to defend him from the gang of youths. As you've mentioned, both men spoke a number of times about these challenging conditions that some delivery riders must work in around Dublin City. How powerful do you think that argument was? I think it was extremely powerful and it sure resonated with the jury. As we all see delivery drivers cycling around day and night, delivering food for our convenience, their job is hard without the abuse they have to put up with. Time and time again during the trial, the jury heard from witnesses from the Deliveroo community about how common it was for them to have their bikes stolen when they were just trying to make a living. Food delivery riders would message each other on WhatsApp when a bike went missing and the other delivery cyclists would try and get that bike recovered. So there was a real sense of camaraderie between the cyclists and it showed what a close community Deliveroo a community is. They also don't get compensated when um, their bike goes missing. So it shows that their bikes are their livelihood and technically a mechanism for survival. So Guillaume Guillaume said he'd been involved in a fight that night and he, he went into his background as a delivery driver and he told the jury that there'd been a few episodes where street gangs would throw stones at him when he was making the deliveries and he would try his best to avoid the harassment from these gangs and cycle in a different direction. But at times that proved difficult. And he told the trial about a WhatsApp group between him and fellow delivery workers, which allowed them to communicate about trouble spots or dangerous areas in Dublin to highlight the areas where people showed aggression towards riders. And Ali, moving on to the prosecution for a moment, what about their argument? What did they accept about George Bento's statement and what did they hit back on? Well, in the closing address to the jury, Prosecution Counsel Sean Gearon, he conceded that the instigator of the row was the man on the moped who stole the bike that had belonged to another delivery cyclist. So he said the man on the bike was a thief and a thug who launched a vicious attack on George and Guillaume when they tried to retrieve the bike. The state prosecutor also accepted that George was lawfully entitled to recover the bike that night. However, The state argued that George had exaggerated the danger he was in and repeatedly downplayed his own actions. He said that George had tried to act the hard man on the night and wanted to deal with the situation himself while armed with a knife rather than involve Gardaí. 
And what did the prosecution say about teenager Josh Dunn's behaviour when all of this was happening? Yeah, the prosecution case was that Josh didn't do any harm to anyone that night until he saw his friend being stabbed. And they argued he was reacting to what he saw and he was entitled to push him away. And they pointed out that Josh had never come to guard attention before and showed no desire to get involved in the fight that evening. And he also said that Josh was in arm that night and he was to be commended for trying to protect his friend from a lethal unlawful attack. The prosecution also claimed the teenagers were backing away when Bento produced his knife for the second time. What did the court hear about that and what did they hear about why Bento felt the need to pull his knife out again? Yeah, George said he pulled the knife out to intimidate the youth so they wouldn't come near him and Guillaume. He said he got completely scared when he saw the youths because they, he knew they were going to attack him and his friend. And George told Guardian in his interviews that he'd used a knife to defend himself from the man in the moped and the gang of youths. He said it was only intention to intimidate them and make them go away. But he said he stabbed the first and second males who punched and attacked him as he was scared and wanted to protect himself. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. Owen Reynolds, you were in the court earlier this week for the final verdict when George Bento was acquitted on all charges. What was the atmosphere like in the courtroom as the verdicts were being read out? Well, I think the atmosphere at all court cases when a verdict is coming is always very tense. It's a very intense time for all those people involved, but maybe even more so in this case because the stakes were so very high for George Bento. He he was one of these people who you could uh, uh, you could see him getting acquitted, but of course there was still that murder charge hanging over him. So you're talking about a life sentence or walking out of court. So I think the tension was particularly high here. When the verdicts came out and they come out one by one, it wasn't all of a sudden. It's the registrar has to ask the jury foreman, you know, you say he's not guilty. Is this a verdict of you all? And the jury foreman responds, yes. And that happens one, two, three, four times. So each one of those would have been a huge relief, obviously, to him. And so you could see that he had a broad smile on his face and he looked over to the uh, his mother who was in the body of the court, maybe about 15 feet from him, uh, some supporters who had been there throughout the trial. And he smiled towards them, but he didn't he didn't overreact. And in fairness to him and his supporters, they, there was no kind of jubilation or anything like that, because obviously Josh Dunn's family and his and the you know people who were there to support his family and his mother Josh Dunn's mother were in the, were there in the body of the court and there was very clear shock on her face and um, she simply you know when she realized what had happened she she and her her friends her family they simply got up and they left the court and the, and the, they didn't return what did the judge say about the final verdict well it was 
Judge Paul Burns, he simply said, you know, once the verdict was in and he was not guilty, he said, you know, I don't really have any more role as regards to this. And he told Mr. Bento that he would be free to leave. Um, there was some procedure that has to be gone through because he had been in custody. So the prison services did bring him downstairs just to formally release him from custody. And that was it. He walked free from the court, from the side door of the court. Owen, what makes this trial particularly interesting is that an acquittal on a murder charge on the basis of self-defence is very rare. So can you explain what the judge said during the verdict about how self-defence applies and applied in this murder trial? Yeah, so you're right. It is extremely rare. And I was racking my brains to try and think of um, a previous one that I've covered. And I could only think of one in the seven years that I've been here where there was a full acquittal um, to a murder charge based on self-defense. But um, what it comes down to is um, that everyone, all people are entitled to use reasonable force to defend themselves or to defend others. Um, And if a jury accepts that it's reasonably possible that the accused person in a murder trial used only reasonable force in defence of themselves or another person, then that person is not guilty of any offence. Now, it gets a little bit more complicated, potentially, because there's also what's called the partial defence of self-defence. And that is where um, the jury accepts that the accused person thought they were using reasonable force in self-defence, but actually they used more force than was reasonably necessary. And in those circumstances, they would be found guilty of manslaughter rather than murder. But obviously then, if a person was not acting in self-defence and they knew they weren't, then they would be guilty of murder. What does this result mean for future trials around claims of self-defence, particularly, for example, cases connected to domestic abuse, for example, where a partner might feel they have no choice but to hit back at their attacker with an instrument like a knife? Well, honestly, I think it probably means very little for other claims of self-defense because every trial is unique and every set of circumstances that comes before the courts is unique. It's very hard to extrapolate from one uh, trial that something is some specific thing is going to happen in another. Um, what it what it shows is that juries are sympathetic towards people who find themselves being attacked particularly this is a very public attack it was maybe the circumstances are different to a domestic abuse case this was something that happened out in the streets it was a large gang of people clearly there would be a lot of fear involved in 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 circumstances like that and it perhaps shows that juries do have some sympathy for people who find themselves in that situation um but as regards other cases it will always be on its own merits and i think that has to be remembered and the fact that we mentioned already that self defense cases are it's very unusual for them to lead to a full acquittal and I think that will probably continue In the days since the verdict what have we heard about the remorse that George Bento feels for what happened in January 2021? Well, he said throughout the trial when he was giving evidence and he has said now, I think he's been approached by um, reporters and he has said that, you know, he wishes, he hopes that Josh Dunn's mother can forgive him. Yeah, I, I say sorry at the, the beginner and at the end. Hopefully one day she could uh, forgive. forgive me for what happened, but it's not my intention. Obviously, he wishes that what happened that night had never happened. And he has explained that he has children of his own and he can, you know, understand the hurt and the devastation that such a loss would would, would create. Um, so, yeah, I think I think he's 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 explained himself on that count. Yeah. 
And what do we know about his plans for the future and life outside prison? Do we know if he's going to go back to Brazil or whether he'll stay here? That was what he said during his evidence. Um, He said what his plans were once he gets out would be to hug his children, um, hug his mother, um, go back to Brazil and, and maybe find, start a new life somewhere else. We don't want to lose sight of Josh Dunn's family in all of this and what they've gone through. Have they spoken out since Tuesday's verdict and how they're feeling about uh, the jury's decision? It was very clear after the verdicts were read out that um, Josh's mother was absolutely devastated. Um, She has said that she will fight for Josh, keep fighting for her son until the day she dies. Because obviously Josh Dunn wasn't, you know, he wasn't a bad kid and he wasn't out there that night to cause trouble. Um, I understand from speaking to people that he, the intention that night was to go out and meet a few girls and go and have a pizza. And that was really the extent of it. So, um, you know, what happened to him is a, an absolute tragedy and it is a huge loss to that family and to that community. Alison O'Reardon and Owen Reynolds, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. That's all for today. My thanks again to our guests, Alison O'Reardon and Owen Reynolds. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the News will be back on Monday.